What words have had the biggest impact on your life? Just think. For me recently, it was warrior sweep, but that didn't happen, so, right? Uh, let's, let's have some fun with it. Ask not what you can do for your country, but... Yeah, see, it was so impactful, I messed it up, right? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what? Right? Do you know he didn't come up with that? I just read that recently. His speechwriter came up with it, and when it came out in public about 30 years later, he was, well, he wasn't furious, but his family was furious. Um, it's amazing how these words that we hold on to that are so powerful in life. I have a... No, a Toyota. What's wrong with you? Yes, I have a dream. I have a dream, right? And, and so many others. Why did those words take root? For God so the world. For all have... And on and on it goes. So when we think about this concept or these ideas of saying what we want to say, how many of us have been in conversations that we regret after the fact that we didn't say what we wanted to say? Especially when it comes to spiritual content. Today we're going to examine Paul as he's moving through this journey, this second missionary journey, and he's on the road again. He's a hunted man. He has to leave Thessalonica. He moves on to Athens now. His team is behind him, and now he's in Athens. He is in the quintessential center of Epicurean thought. If ever there's going to be a beautiful statement that people are going to hold on to, it's going to come out of Athens. Right? The echelon of Greek philosophy and, and modern day thinking. Wow. Paul's playing Carnegie Hall. And so let's pick it up this morning. Turn to ch chapter 17 in Acts. And I have a little bit of an excerpt here. And this is what I want us to focus on, starting verse 24 through 27. This is, in fact, one of the most beautiful sermons that Paul has ever given. And so I want you to contemplate. We're not going to have time. This is one of those challenges as a preacher that you're looking at the content of what God has given you, and you could go 14 different ways easily. You could camp out on one phrase and preach just the one phrase. And so this morning, you may be sitting there and you may have heard this message multiple times, and I may not hit on the touch points that you're used to. Just understand, I had to pick a direction. And oh, by the way, I'm just going to say what I want to say. All right? I want you to hold on to this thought this morning. We need to learn to speak Jesus. We need to learn to speak Jesus. And this message, this short sermon that we have articulated, that Luke wrote down for us, is a beautiful parsing of what it means to speak Jesus. Let's look at verse 24, and then we'll go back and we'll work through the, the passage systematically, okay? Verse 24 through, what did I say, 27? It's on the screen for you to follow along or in your Scriptures. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Alright, that's like stepping into Carnegie Hall and telling, insulting their piano. 
So he's got their attention, doesn't he? But Paul is saying, I need to help you understand the difference. You're going to hear in a moment how Paul is very effective in saying what he's saying because he knows his audience. He knows his audience. And his audience goes to temples. They have to go to temples to make their sacrifices to their gods. And so he starts out immediately by talking in this idea that his God, the God who made the world and everything in it, now elevating the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob over the Greek gods, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You know, Paul isn't short-sailing this, is he? He's using pretty demonstrative terms and language because he wants to get their attention. He's doing a comparative contrast. You want to know how to speak Jesus? Understand your audience, and we'll get to this in a, in a minute. Understand who you're talking to, what they hold to, and start to just contrast the essence of who Jesus says He is. And then let them dwell on it and think it. And it says, and He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Right there, Paul transitions from speaking about the glory and the magnificence of God over all the other Greek gods. And then he transitions, I don't know if you saw that, seamlessly into the understanding of God wants a personal relationship with man. The Greek gods didn't operate that way. That was not, this is new. This is progressive. So Paul is setting up. It's not just about the glory of God. It's about how you interact with Him. And Paul says, He has made a way. He made the way. You don't have to do it. He made the way for you to seek Him and find Him and he's searching for you. Just a beautiful part of the passage. So let's get down to it this morning. I've broken it down into some very simple things. We do have sermon notes, some fill in the blank. So speech 101. How many of you took speech in college or high school? Raise your hand. All right, go ahead. Say what you want to say. I'm sure you all got an A in speech. I remember a really good tip, and it's probably helped me since this is what I do as part of my ministry is speak publicly. And the idea was this, you need to care about what you are speaking about. Because inevitably, you will get nervous or you'll get befuddled or there will be a problem and then you'll start to shrink down onto yourself and you'll get lost. And you'll panic. that happened to you? I did a speech one time for a Christmas play at church. And the person was sitting right there with a cue card. Oh, no, no, no. I memorized my part. I knew it. And I got to the third line, and I looked out and saw all the people. And I panicked. And I just went deer in the headlights, and I froze like a tomato in December. And I don't even know what that means, but I did it. 
And I just stood there and I ran off the stage after an awkward 30 seconds of silence. Yeah, it's a, it truly is an act of God that I'm doing what I'm doing now. But we talk about speech 101. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. So go back. Now Paul has entered into Athens and it says this, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. You know, you know Paul enters into this place, a synagogue, he's used to it. It's his comfort zone. But so many of us who speak Jesus, I don't know, do, do we ever really have it right? I mean, a lot of us pastors, we get up and we make it sound like we know what we're saying. But even Scripture says, who can know these things, really, right? Who can know the mind of the Lord? And I think sometimes we come across, sometimes I come across like, I've got the answer. And, you know, honestly, sometimes I just wonder, do I really have that answer? Do I have that which is really going to carry somebody into what they need. Do I have what is really, in essence, the words of God? Am I really communicating this properly? Because I know my humanity. Yeah, it's kind of hard. But see, Paul, he didn't suffer from that. He was provoked. Did you catch that word? He was provoked. Have you ever been provoked? Have you ever walked into a situation? Right? You ever walked into a situation and, and, and you saw the environment, the atmosphere, and it provoked some kind of an emotional response within you, whether good or bad? Paul was provoked. He stepped into Athens and he was heartbroken. He was heartbroken. So much so that he went directly to the synagogue and he began to reason with devout persons. And he went to the marketplace. He went to what would have been the Cardo in Athens, the place where all the business was, where all the most people would, would have been gathered from every walk of life. So he was in the church building reasoning there, and he was out in, in the Starbucks and the, and the Home Depots and the, you know, the, the, the hometown buffets of our time. And he was speaking Jesus. And speaking Jesus. Why? Well, because he told these boys back in Antioch that he really felt like he should go out and do this. God had commissioned him. It's, it's his calling. And, and they commissioned him. And, and so, you know, he's got to report back to him. So, you know, he's got a job to do. That's not what this says. This says he was provoked to speak. He was provoked to speak Jesus. Have you been there? Have you left a certain situation where you were upset that you didn't speak? 
Speak from conviction and you'll have an audience. Are we disturbed enough by our failing culture to speak out? There are things that pastors remain silent on because they're just, they see them as hotbeds. They see them as personal decisions. Isn't it amazing that we hear now about the history and the criticism by our culture in our world saying, where was the church? And they'll use those things to paint a picture of Christ other than who Christ is, and we don't speak Jesus. Some people in history do speak Jesus against the culture. Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke Jesus, acted like Jesus during World War II. And as the Allies were descending upon the prison area that he was being detained in, the Germans wanted to get one last shot in. And they knew it would just be hours. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer missed the rest of his life because of his statements because he refused to be silent because he was provoked to speak Jesus. And he was hung for his faith hours before the Allies came and liberated that area. Could have been real simple to be silent. I saw on the news last night something that we're silent about. There's a picture of probably over a thousand individuals in what would be called a, a plaza or a piazza in Italy. This was actually in Ireland. And thousands of people. And the statement by the Prime Minister of Ireland is that we no longer have to live in shame. We no longer have to live in shame because we passed a referendum to allow abortions. Terms like revolution. And as I looked at all the smiling faces and all the fists held high, I thought to myself, and we will sit by and be silent. And here's the amazing thing about all of this. Please understand from the first point, if either men or women in this room have dealt with this very hard subject. Number one, Christ loves each person without a doubt. This church loves anybody who walks through that door. We have had prisoners walk through this door. We have had, and I could go on and on and on, and they are loved. I come with my own challenges. But unless we speak when we are provoked, those who are silent and can't help themselves will continue throughout the history of man to be put down when it is no longer convenient and we can get away with it. That is the I'm not just talking about abortion now, am I? That is the history of mankind. When I can eliminate that which is inconvenient for me and nobody will say anything and we find a rationale and we turn a blind eye towards the, the logic. I have yet to find an individual that will explain to me how if we find water or bacteria on Mars, that's called life. But because 
an infant is still unseen, that's no longer life. Because somebody gave them permission to say that. There's a crazy narrative out there. Now, I just went for broke. Do you have any idea what I just did to all of you? And you may think it was just this statement. But I got your attention, don't I? This is exactly what Paul did on this day. It is exact. Paul dug deep. And he said, these are the issues. And I want you to hear, and I'm going to speak Jesus into this. Do you remember when I was sitting here just a couple minutes ago? And I was talking to you about, oh, I don't really know what I'm saying. I'm never really sure if I'm speaking for God. How many of you were really interested in what I was going to say next at that point? Versus when I get up and speak Jesus and speak about important issues of life and I'm no longer silent on something. Now, just like Paul, I could divide this room easily by those statements I made, right? Easily I could divide this room. That's not the equation you need to worry about. The issue is to speak Jesus into the scenario. And while I raised a hotbed topic, now you're interested. Some of you were kind of chuckling. Yeah, 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 Pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 I get it. But how many of you were really interested in what I was going to say for the next 20 minutes when I was so passive in my approach? And by the way, who was I speaking about? I was speaking about me that entire time. What I think, how I feel. But when I stood up here, I started with what I saw. But then I shared with you that regardless of where we lie on this subject or what we have experienced on this subject, Jesus loves you. And Jesus is the answer for all things pertaining to life. Which takes us right back to Paul's incredible speech, doesn't it? Understand, when you speak Jesus, don't sit like this and say, well, yeah, you know, there's a lot of really good ideas out there. I, I, I've always liked Zeus, you know. Lightning bolt stuff, that's cool stuff, you know. And so, you know, there's Zeus and, and uh, there's Shiva. You know, Shiva's kind of cool. Isn't Shiva in the form of, of an elephant? His son is. The son of Shiva. It's, it's the B-side film. Um, the son of Shiva. I was a teenage Sh Shiva. Anyway, I'm going into like old, old horror movies. Sorry. This is where, if you're new here today, that's how the mind works, unfortunately. But if I sit here and I just start doing some kind of ecumenical buffet of gods, am I approaching like I'm provoked like Paul was? Absolutely not. And guess what? I'm disinteresting. That's a Jerry word, by the way. I'm disinteresting. We need to say what we want to say. Second point, by the way, say what you want to say. There's, there's your fill in the blank. Second point, the Aeropagus blogosphere. 
What is this? Well, the Areopagus was actually a rock, and you're seeing part of it there in Athens. And it was the area where justice was served. It's the area where they would bring individuals to, um, to be tried, or often to discuss high and lofty philosophy. And so Paul was brought there, it says, let's look at this, verse 18 through 21. Turn with me, if you will. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? I get that every day. (laughs) Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching his own ideas, a great marketing plan, health, wealth, and prosperity. Is that what your, is that what your translation says? What does your translation say? Jesus. This was the testimony, the public testimony about what Paul was speaking about. Because he was speaking Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what his new teaching is, or may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Ooh, he just got invited to the inner council chambers. Folks, rarely do you get invited for a callback unless what you're saying comes from a deep sense of passion being provoked, there being substance there, and opinion is shelved. If we simply speak from opinion, by the way, we can speak from opinion, but when we're talking about Jesus, speak from Jesus' opinion. And people listen, people take note. It's something new, it's something progressive, it's something they want more of, which is what we see here with Paul. He's given a call back, and now he gets to go speak to the higher minds. And they're saying, you had me at Jesus. Go ahead, start speaking. So, He gets to blog, right? He gets to blog. How many bloggers out there have you you been like interested in? Um, Rihanna has a great blog. And it's, is it still up or did you take it down? It's fantastic. See, she's she's like, "Ah, no, don't, don't, no. No, it's, it's, it really is phenomenal stuff. How many of you have ever blogged? Anybody else in the room? Oh, do you guys know what a blog is? Okay, I just want to make sure. But there are hundreds of thousands of bloggers. And it's all about their what? Their opinions. It's all about their opinions. We are flooded with the age of technology. We are flooded, my friends, with opinion. So much so that it's now become what's called white noise. So it becomes very, very challenging to be distinct, to have a blog that people are really going to tune into. And this point is important. Say something worthwhile. Say something worthwhile. I had the blessedness of doing a wedding last week in Michigan. Not so much because it was in Michigan. Um, Michigan can have Michigan. Um, 
but I was there to perform the ceremony for Samuel Bushra and Vivian. And what a great wedding. First of all, it was raining. It broke open rain right as we were about to go out. It was that kind of a situation. And it all just worked out. It was just great. And I don't have time to get into it. But the beauty of it is, is you know, there were times where I would speak at camps. And I would hear people talk about previous speakers. And, and often speakers at camps for youth camps, they're tempted to be entertainers. And they have to have all these great stories to really keep the attentions of the kids. But I heard from some students over the years, because I had taken a hiatus from this camp I speak at it, down in Catalina, this very interesting information that fits in this idea of blogging. You know, you want to get someone's attention. You need to say something worthwhile. And part of the challenge we have when we preach, part of the challenge Paul had, was holding the attention of people he doesn't know. And sometimes you're tempted to entertain. And within camping circuits, it, it often is, is a, a seductive idea to be the person with the best stories. Because that's what people remember. But fascinatingly enough, what I heard uh, just prior to the last two times I spoke at a camp was the students categorize some of these speakers as story guy. Story guy. And I thought to myself, boy, I really don't want to go down in history as story guy. And I'm telling a story. Go figure. <laughs> the fascinating thing about taking that comment and where we were last week I had an 80-year-old Egyptian pastor from Cairo. I don't know if any of you know him. I'll have to talk with you afterwards. But this gentleman came up to me and thanked me for the significance of what was said according to Scripture. That one's going in my hat. I had Vivian's pastor come up to me at the reception and tell me, you had me when you announced you made them memorize Scripture. What is he really saying there? He's saying what you said was worthwhile. This is my gal. And here you're coming to do the service for my gal? Who are you? What did you tell them when you did premarital? And so what he's really letting me know is, well done. What you did there was significant. It was worthwhile. Right? When we speak Jesus, we need to be like Paul. We need to get a call back. Not just speak opinion. We need to be intimately aware of who Jesus is. What does that mean? So often preachers use big demonstrative terms, and I just did it again, right? intimately aware of who Jesus... That sounds really good and smart or something, right? I took it from Francis Chan. None of you know Francis. Okay. I didn't play like I thought it might. The idea of intimate awareness is that it's not just a knowledge. That you have experienced something. You've experienced, have you ever talked to a friend about a product that you have and you're like, you have to do this? 
We were on vacation a couple weeks ago, and that's one of the weeks I was gone, and you didn't see me, and, and uh, we drove my wife's car, and my wife was having an allergy attack. So what did I do? I put down the top. And, and so I thought, let's just blow all that out of her, right? Great theory. And uh, we're going through that area coming out, uh, going into the Monterey Valley, where it's, I think it's called Sand City. And it, have you ever seen a movie where people like are trying to pull the horses and the wagons through a tornado? That was us. I turn over and I look at my wife and she has a giant parka that uh, Sir Edmund Hillary used on, on Mount Everest. She's got that on and she's bending like this. There are crosswinds of 50 miles an hour hitting us. And it was probably a warm, paltry 38 degrees as we were driving. And my wife is sneezing her head off. So she just happens to get a call. And her friend is a nurse. And her friend says, use peppermint oil. What? So what do we do? In Capitola, we go to a Whole Foods. She gets peppermint oil. And we kid you not, within a half hour, she stopped. All the allergies. And every time it started to come on, just a little peppermint oil on the roof of the mouth. Now I can't get her to be quiet about peppermint oil. (laughs) Anybody just has a sniffle. Oh, you know what will fix that? Peppermint oil, right up there on the old roof of the mouth, right? Have you ever had something that you just could not be quiet about? That's what it means to be intimately aware of Jesus. Does that make sense now? Paul was intimately aware of Jesus, was he not? Right? The road to Damascus. He's not just speaking knowledge. He's not just speaking opinion. And when you do this from an intimate awareness of Jesus, it comes across. You get a second call back, which is where Jesus is. So then you have five minutes of fame. Five minutes of fame. We need to say something spiritually engaging. So what is this picture? This is a gentleman that on our, at the end of our vacation, we went to a concert down at UCLA. His name is Mike Peters. He's the leader of a band called The Alarm that was a really big band, used to open for U2 and other groups. And uh, uh, this gentleman has written lyrics from a spiritual sense that inspired me early on uh, in my ministry. And this was a special concert called A Gathering where you were given an opportunity to meet Mike. So I got my five minutes, right? I got my five minutes of fame of, of finally talking face-to-face to someone who had inspired me for 30 years. Right? How many of you would like start sweating and, and you would like, like panic? So I'm thinking, what do I say? I got five minutes here. I need to say something. I need to say, I need to tell them how great. I, no, I need to tell them about all the guys that I discipled and we rallied around it. Nope, not that. I need to, why am I going to, oh, why don't I say something spiritual to just encourage him? Because I don't think anybody ever does that, maybe. So it was funny because Cindy and Alan were standing off to the side. They had already met him, took a picture. It's kind of like posing with like the elephant at the zoo or something, right? You, sl- you slide in there, take your shot, move off to the side. It's just going, going. So it was one of those high-pressure situations like, 
well, you're not really supposed to sp spend a conversation because there's like hundreds of people that want to do this. I'm like, nope, I'm going to do this. This is my five minutes of fame. This is my one shot. What am I going to do? And I got to speak Jesus to one of my inspirational heroes of the years. Now, he looked at me like I was an idiot. No, he didn't. He just looked at me in a confused manner because usually people didn't say what I said. And I turned to a guy who had been giving me and giving me and giving me great, inspiring information for years. And I said, hey, Mike, if you're looking for some spiritual inspiration, look up William Borden. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And God bless this guy. He's just, that, that smile, he's got it down. He does that thousands of times every concert. Just, eh, 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 you know. And so his expression on his face was awesome, and it's a lot like what happens for Paul here. It's like, what? Well, you, 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 you just went off the script. You're actually talking to me, and you're, you're trying to give me something to contemplate? Yeah, yeah, Mike, look him up if you want some spiritual inspiration. Those are my five minutes. And rather than walk away and regret, which is one of the things I took from William Borden, rather than regret being silent and not speaking Jesus, I took the opportunity. Let's look at 22 through 31 as we're getting ready to wrap up here. What happens when Paul gets this chance to share? So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Yeah, he's speaking to the crowd, right? He knows his audience. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So what he does is he takes part of their culture and he, he pulls it around. He's speaking with knowledge and getting into their world. And he's saying, you are incredibly, incredibly religious, so much so that what? You even have a monument that you worship to an unknown God in case you might miss someone. Let me tell you who that unknown God is. Isn't that masterful? absolutely masterful and i believe that god gives him the words for this so he says something that's spiritually engaging imagine that this has been part of your culture wouldn't that be in your thinking especially when you're a child and you're growing up who's the unknown god who's this unknown god and all of a sudden this this foreigner comes along and starts preaching things about a resurrected god so much so that you're compelled to bring this person into the inner chambers and speak to the highest minds within Athens. And he says, I perceive for you to be very religious. As a matter of fact, you even have a statue to an unknown God. Let me tell you who... You think you got me? Paul was masterful. He knew what he wanted to say. We need to be those people. We need to understand how to have this conversation, how to speak Jesus. He knew his audience. It shaped his content. And when he was provoked, he came right back with content that provoked thinking. Can I encourage you that when you speak Jesus, you're not in a battle of wills, my friends. You are simply speaking Jesus. 
but share the parts about Jesus that provoke thinking. This is why Paul was so masterful. See what the Lord has done. By the way, uh, let me continue on. So he talks about the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temple. And we've, we've read that. And then go down to verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed in the art and imagination of man. Now he's saying something controversial, isn't he? He's saying, you see, this Jesus is different than all the other gods and the other worship that you have centered your whole life around. He's not to be worshipped the way that you worship. He's alive. He's resurrected. He's a personal God that interacts with you. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Wow, Paul. Not only are you saying that Jesus is so different than your gods, but He's now calling them to what? To repentance. Because He has fixed, on a, he has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. He's speaking of Christ. And so he speaks about the magnificence of God. He speaks about how this God is not to be regarded or regaled in temples. He speaks about how this Jesus was resurrected from the dead. A foreign idea to those in Athens. And there's more separation and more separation. And we think and we are compelled when we, in our culture today, when we think about speaking Jesus we get into this really tight space where we're worried about causing separation. Do you see that Paul was magnificent? They didn't worry about any of that. Because Jesus can speak for himself. Amen? Who Jesus is, we need to be impressed by so that when we share, we share so that it is effective. We need to say, see what the Lord has done. And so as he goes through and he calls for repentance, and he talks about judgment. This is one of the most complete sermons, brothers and sisters, you'll ever find in a short context. Underline it. You want to know how to speak Jesus, just use this model, okay? But know your audience. Now what happens in the end? Even the best speech gets mixed results. So it says this. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Think that would happen to us today? Of course. It happened then. And that's one of the beauties of why we're studying Acts. There's nothing new under the sun. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. Oh, he gets a third call back. And by the way, he gets a third call back from the upper level. But what eventually happens? It says, so Paul went out from their midst. That meeting is over. But in hindsight, Luke records this. He says, but some men joined him and what? Believed. And believed. Among whom also were Dionysus... Oh, forget it. I can't say those words. So Paul speaks Jesus. And what happens as a result? We get to look and see what the Lord has done. We get to look and see 
what the Lord has done. Say something that requires response. When you want to speak Jesus, when you want to say what you want to say, speak Jesus. I'm getting the signal from Callie to cut it. I need to cut the sermon. She's saying, cut the sermon. That's so much fun. Okay, Callie, I'm going to cut it right now. I was actually done anyway. Even the best speech gets mixed results. Against all odds, some men joined him and believed. Inspiring speech mixed with truth creates partnership with the Spirit to change hearts. When we say what we want to say, we need to speak Jesus, not just our opinion. Amen? Amen.